Shortly after the recording of this podcast, we learned about the sudden and unfortunate death of John Hill, designer of the original squad leader. John was a truly original designer and had a tremendous influence on the hobby. But what I'll always remember is that his games gave me and my friends hundreds of hours of gaming camaraderie and enjoyment. We celebrate his contributions to the hobby and sent condolences to his friends and family. Good evening and welcome to Three Movies Ahead. I'm your host, Bruce Garrick. Tonight, we have one of our original panelists, the great Julian Murdoch. I'm so excited for this episode. I'm nearly exploding with glee. Well, I am too. And the reason for that is that tonight we have Jeff Hallett and Dave Kleinschmidt of the Advanced Squad Leader, or should we say ASL podcast, The Two Half Squads. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, good evening. Thanks for having us. We're very happy to be here. You're the only people in the world interested in talking to us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I disbelieve. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, no, we're, I think we're more excited. So uh, the, um, the topic tonight for our listeners is going to be ASL. And uh, that's not American Sign Language. That's Advanced Squad Leader. Um, we all have been playing. Well, gosh, how long have we been playing? Uh, Jeff and Dave, how long have you guys been at this? I think 1985. Mm-hmm. Which is when the game came out, isn't it? You're right. Yes. I yeah. didn't do the original squad leader, just the advanced, right into okay. the hard stuff. And I have only been playing for seven years. It's just, seven. It's, seven, it's like seven years this month was the first time, and the first time I played was when I went over to Dave's house. He was having <laughs> one of his club meetings, and I wrote him an email and said, can I, can I come over and watch? Because I was too afraid to... <laughs> to think that I could even play this. <laughs> Can I come and watch and maybe, and then like leave quietly? And he said, no, come on in, come on over and play. And so I did. And ever since, so I, I'm an old guy, but I've, I've been, and I shouldn't say that, but, but I am, uh, but I have only been playing seven years. But how, how did you go about um, constructing your collection? It's kind of one of those things that uh, is a little bit esoteric. So people start picking up all the pieces from here and there. What, how did you get into it? What did you buy and, and how fast did you go? Well, I started, as you said at the beginning, my friend Wally made me kind of do it. He said, hey, because we were doing the fantasy role play and, and some miniatures, I think, then. And he said, oh, look, there's this, this thing's coming out. This is like the Cadillac of war games. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not so into board games. You know, they have no miniatures. And <laughs> and wow, yeah, he, this guy, if this guy didn't take me, walk me all through this, I'd probably never have learned it. And he taught me. He kept pushing, pushing. We're going to do this next. And I'm like, infantry only. I can't take the rules. And, and then, uh, boy, yeah. once I got bit, I have... Every product that is official, um, tons that are not official products, and I buy them all as soon as they hit the market. Crazy. And Bruce, Bruce, when did you start? Uh, I started in 85 as well, um, but I played the original uh, Squad Leader. I can't remember what year that was, but it had to have been. Original Squad Leader came out in 77. I don't think it came, I started playing when it came out, but it's got. it must have been 78 or 79. Um, I wasn't. I, gosh, I, I could have. I probably was only like twelve or thirteen at that time. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think that we played exactly correctly. Yeah. Uh, does any? Does any? But let's be clear. Does anybody actually play anything perfectly correctly with a hundred percent certainty in this hobby? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think so. so. <laughs> I, and it, it, that was very hard for me to get over because I, uh, coming into gaming late, I assumed that everything was really clear cut and there were no questions and so when it, 
when it comes to that, when I first was introduced to it and I saw these things and saw how people say, no, just play, just play, don't worry about it, just play. And I'll, no, I, I, I need to know the rule before I do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's taken me a long time to become relaxed enough to, to play anyway. And it's really helped my enjoyment of the game because people could be turned off. Newcomers to the game could be very tun- turned off by the complexity and uh, uh, the seeming complexity of the game. And if they can relax and just play anyway, it'll help them a lot. Yeah. How how do you guys, uh, well, for Julian, especially, I'm curious, how do you experience the um, people that you play with in terms of being, you know, sort of friendly and, and accommodating as far as the rules go? Well, I mean, I, I think it, it depends a lot on where you approach the hobby. And I think it's kind of cool that we have somebody who's only been playing for, you know, a few years and somebody who's been playing since, you know, you and I were babies. I started playing, I think, Cross of Iron, which I think was probably 78 yeah. on the original squad leader or something like that. It was, Cross of Iron was 1980, I, I think. Yeah. So, so I was 12 or 13 or something like that. Um, and uh, when ASL came out when I was in college uh, in 85, I just started buying everything I could and then tragically... Uh, lost most of my collection in a, in an apartment theft and didn't rebuy until MMP started republishing mm-hmm. everything. Um, so I, I I don't have any of my original stuff anymore. I've eBayed some stuff here and there, and uh, and pretty much at this point just have you know sort of Beyond Valor and Paratroopers and and Gung Ho and a few of the sort of more standard uh, you know orders of battle that people play with. So I don't have any of the obscure stuff. I don't have Red Barricades anymore. Any of that stuff. Although I played a lot mm-hmm. of that and. Um, I find that if I run into somebody like me in the sense that they played a bunch in college and, and, you know, maybe they play a game a year, they play some Vazel games, people are generally pretty relaxed yeah. uh, about the rules because it's just, it's impossible. I mean, at this, certainly I'm headed towards 50 at this point. I'm not going to remember the rules for white phosphorus in a swamp or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I, off the top of my head, I'm not going to remember those things. If I if I know I've got somebody coming over to play a particular scenario, of course, I'll read up all those rules and everything, and that'll be great. But if somebody, you know, like I've had Rob Zachney over a few times to sort of try to teach him ASL, you know, starting with some basic infantry and throwing in some machine guns or something like that. And you can't get too hung up then, but I find that the new people often really grab onto this big giant orange rule book and they feel like, wait, 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 I, I'm firing down this hex spine. There's got to be a rule for whether or not that bisects the hedge in a certain way. And you know what? There probably is somewhere, uh, but most people that I would play with would just be look at it and, and approach it logically. And I think that's actually one of the secrets to ASL is most of the time the rules to me exactly follow your intuition about the tactical situation on the board, which is part of the reason I still have so much love for ASL. I think that is really true. My first reaction, though, to your story about the robberies, I I can't believe any thief would be dumb enough to take all your ASL stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, I had a purple box squad leader back there Mm -hmm. somewhere in the day. um, uh, A a thief with discerning taste. (laughs) Yeah, I think a thief with a pickup truck and a big... A bunch of friends is really what it was. Do you think they were they after took the games actually, too. or just no? Like, they took all. They took every. They took all my CDs and music, and they just cleaned out a room. Wow! Oh, so they'd be great if they time. just but took your ASL I mean, stuff. We're talking a long time yes. ago. We're talking yeah. like early. 80s I'm also kind of horrified that you like don't have some of that stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I think the rules do seem intuitive, and it is. You're right. It is amazing sometimes when you're playing along and you go, "Well, I think what might happen." obviously, would be this. And then it often is right there in the rule. So well, it helps that, you to visualize the rule. And then it's just a matter of knowing, is it a plus one or a plus two? 
<laughs> to move through that. The mathematics. Yes. Right. Right. right exactly. exactly. So yeah. you, ha- you, you kind of need to know that. But if you know, if you kind of have a feeling that, oh, I'm moving into this hex and it's got this kind of hindrance in it, there must be some sort of a, a rule applied that then, you know. I, I'm curious what you guys think the biggest impediment is for new players, other than just simply getting your hands on the game, which it's certainly the, the starter kits made that way easier. Um, I don't own them, but I have played most of those scenarios out of the starter kits with other people's sets, and I think it's just fantastic for the hobby. I think it really does have a great introductory arc that was never really there before in Squad Leader. Um, but beyond just the getting exposed to it, what do you guys think the biggest hurdle is for folks getting into the game is? Because it does have this reputation as being the sort of arcane Everest that cannot be climbed by by even pretty hardcore war gamers. Well, I think a lot of them are worried about the time they think they'll have to invest. But I teach a lot of people the game, and I have a lot of friends who really don't even own the rule book, and they just kind of rely on me and trust me, and I'll make mistakes, and they'll since they're not reading the rule book, they're not really uptight about it at all. So maybe I'm very lucky in that regard. But if you, I find a good friend it's a, that likes it a little bit, they're pretty much I can get them in and get them playing a lot. I have had some people come to the club um, and they'll do a game and then, yeah, I'll check in later. Hey, we're going to meet again next month. Are you interested? And they'll be like, nah, I just, I don't know. I didn't quite get it. So I think if they don't seem to get it, the movement phase with the defensive fire and the subsequent fire and the – Right? Isn't that more complicated than other war games? Where, oh, much more yeah. complicated. But yeah. I think that if you, yeah. I think if you get that right, then it opens up this whole sort of universe of where you can really do anything with these cardboard chits. And that's sort of like uh, I think that's the that's the appeal to everybody uh, who does get it is that you can um, you have this like armamentarium of all of World War II that you can just sort of go to at any time and pull out. Oh, I, you know, I want to play on the Eastern Front in 1941. No, I want to play in Burma in 1944, right? So you pull that out in, uh, or the desert in 1942. Um, it's just this this huge universe. It's almost like a, to me, it's almost like a role-playing game campaign uh, that you can go to at any point. Um, so I think that's what people, um, that's what people should be sort of drawn to or pointed to. Like, hey, you know, you, you, uh, you interested in Normandy? Hey, I got this, this uh, cool scenario. Um, yeah. So I, I'm uh, I tell the tell the uh, listeners uh, who who don't know um, I'm sure most of our listeners don't play ASL um, tell them about how people are trying to get people into the hobby how how MMP has done this thing with the starter kits. Well, the starter MMP came out with the starter kits. I guess it's been eight. Ten years ago, oh, at least has been a decade. Eight, I think they just had the tenth year anniversary of the first one, like last year. I right, guess. right. In an attempt to make it, it make the game, I think for a couple of reasons. One is was was to initiate people into into squad leader, and then eventually draw them into the full game. But another one was to pre- present them with a game that was very playable on its own. Mm-hmm. So unlike uh, maybe the uh, the starter kit that that Dungeons and Dragons had for a while, which was really gave you the taste of the game with the idea that you would move into the full Dungeons and Dragons. This is a little different because the starter kits can be played on their own and you don't really need to get into ASL with them. But it did draw people into the concepts of it. And I think one of the concepts that's that might be the hardest for people to understand is that there is interaction. There is stuff going on on both sides 
during a player's turn. So when one player is moving, the other player doesn't just sit and watch them move until the end of their movement phase, as happens with most games. This is very interactive. So as somebody moves, yeah, you, re you react to their moves. You, you can fire on them. You can, you know, do all, you have all these options. Um, but I think the starter kits were really successful in, in expanding uh, to a larger audience. And it's funny because you'll talk to the hardcore ASLers yeah. and, and they will eschew the, the use of starter kits mm -hmm. altogether. They just mm -hmm. don't think just, there's just any need for them. they simplify a few things. I mean, I thought they did a pretty good job of not like they, if you've learned from the starter kits, the things you'll have to relearn if you move to the full book are pretty limited. Yes. I mean, there's not, there's expansions, right? I mean, right. things like, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, charges work, you know, there are multiple ways to plant them. There's only one way in the original starter kit, if I recall. Yeah. Um, but, but, but that's just expanding your options. It's not like you have to unlearn a rule set. Oh, it's like, that was the dummy right. rules. Now let me teach you the real yeah, rules. That's correct. Yeah. They just took out the snipers and took out the bypass and movement and things that are more, a little mm -hmm. more complicated. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell us about, um, you know, as you, as you play the game, um, what you said, you talked about the interact interactivity. I mean, it's a it's a game where you could you can spend your whole time buried in this rule book, but the interactivity is actually really pretty tense because of what the listeners should understand is that you know as you move, somebody else, the other player, can fire at you, but sometimes it involves uh, you know the the infamous LOS check, right? So the um, the game is very. Uh, sort of literal in its representation of terrain. So if you're if you're moving a unit, then the opposing player, if he wants to shoot at you, has to be able to prove that he can shoot at you. So somebody can shoot at you and then you take your uh, you know spool of, of thread or whatever that it is uh, and places it you know across the from one unit to the other and then sees it if it uh, if it hits any intervening terrain and very often uh, you know one that's a skill that people uh, develop is knowing whether there's LOS which is line of sight sorry I should have said that um, between two points and uh, you know the people that can call uh, line of sight are uh, you know that's that's sort of a that's um, that's really that helps you play because if you call a line of sight check uh, and the line of sight is blocked, you fire it anyway, so that you lose your uh, your unit's ability to fire. And uh, there's also the tenseness of uh, of units that are hidden because for the listeners we can have um, units that uh, are off the board. You record their their location and then somebody can be moving and uh, all of a sudden you say oh stop and then the other player starts placing units on the board. You couldn't see those guys but now they're blowing you out a little, you know completely destroying you. So there a lot of this interactivity is also very um, uh, you know there, there's a level of tension in the game that I don't find in in some other games. Well and. and I think the defensive fire phase to me, you, you mentioned that before, uh, I can't remember whether it was Jeff or Dave who mentioned that as being sort of something that I think catches people out a little bit, that there's this idea that on both the attacker's turn and the defender's turn, everybody's unloading, right? I mean, this is battle. Uh, and, and yes, there may be one person who is trying to take ground in a given turn, but it's not like everybody else is sitting around, you know, chewing on their nails and eating rations while they're being overrun. Um, and the decisions that you actually have to make as the defensive player, I actually, I actually think are more interesting generally than the decisions you have to make as the offensive player. Um, usually, you know, ASL is a very scenario based game. Uh, without a scenario, there is no game. You'd have to make one up. You'd have to say you have to take this hill or you have to 
collapse that building or eliminate so many units. So there's always a scenario involved. And there's always somebody who is sort of de facto or usually somebody who is de facto the aggressor and the defender. Those defensive decisions about when to unload, when to actually take that pot shot at a guy moving through open terrain, um, those are, I think, what really separate ASL from most war games because generally most I go, you go style war games, it's generally about the offender's turn each time. Yeah, and when I'm playing as a defender, again, and you're, you're right, it's a, it, the hours go by so quickly that because you're sitting there watching this guy move, and I have multiple defending units holding like three or four different houses, and he's running behind a on a road through some other others uh, buildings on my side of the road that are blocking my view of him on in the road. But I can shoot between the buildings with snapshots, which are half firepower shots, or I can catch him at a right angle where I can draw my thread and, and, and see, oh, this guy way over here can actually see you as you turn that corner. And so you're, you're so busy looking at all your units at once, and, and then you're trying to guess, well, okay, he's moving this guy this way. Should I hold my fire because he's going to move someone up this other way to my left, and, and which is the most important for me to cut off. And then I'm trying to assign roles to every defender. Okay, this guy's job with the machine gun is he's got the longest range of fire, so I'm going to, his job is to cut off that crossroad way down there, and I have to prevent anyone from getting into this woods. So this guy's job, this guy's job is to prevent that. And then if he doesn't go to the woods, that frees up these guys. Now, they didn't shoot yet, you know, and yeah, that you're right, it, it just... There's so much to think about as the guy's moving. And then you're doing some mathematical calculations, too. Well, that's my neg two shots, and that's a plus one, and which is my better. Do I wait till he gets to this terrain to unload? And, yeah, it, it it's just very um, interactive. And that's the attraction of the game, I think, uh, for a game that if, if you went up to somebody and say, do you want to play the hardest game that was ever created? <laughs> Would you like to play this game? It's the hardest one ever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you'll ever have any takers, but it is the complexity of the game that also adds to it the subtleties and the tension that creates the excitement of playing it. Yep. And you, you, it's important for people to, to know when they're looking at the rule book, you don't need to learn the whole rule no, book. No, no, you don't. And in fact, it's really not a great read if you're just, if you, <laughs> if you think you're going to open it up to page one and it's going to stay, say, this is ASL and, and here's how it goes. It doesn't even work like that. You can't approach it from that standpoint. But um, just to realize the depth of the game is the beauty of the game is really important. And I think once people, when they play it a couple of times, if they can see that, then they're hooked. And like me, I only wanted to do infantry for so long. And my friend, well, I would make me, well, we're going to add tanks. I'm like, no, no tanks, no. Oh, it's too hard. That's a whole 10 pages of rules. And then he'd teach me. So I'm like, oh, this ain't so hard. You know, move, yeah, stop, the, fire, the, you know, look at the, the charts. Th the thing for me was off-board artillery. I resisted off-board artillery <laughs> oh, yeah. forever oh. and ever and ever. I still uh, do. <laughs> Bruce, do you do you agree with that often laid out statement that this is like the hardest war game ever? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, I think that there are so many things that are going on in the game. And, you know, there are some times that, uh, you know, I've been, I've been sort of burned because we're playing some, uh, you know, we're playing some obscure scenario and I've stopped playing obscure scenarios for that reason, partly, um, you know, somebody scaling a cliff, like, I didn't know you could go up that thing. I'm like, oh yeah, you just put this, you know, climbing <laughs> counter on here and then you're all set. And I'm like, oh geez, I didn't read those rules. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, despite the fact that, you know, it's supposedly the hardest game, like you guys said, there are whole sections of the rulebook you never need to read. Like, I can't remember the last time I played the jungle rules. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I used to really like the desert, but uh, nobody else liked it. So I didn't end up never playing it. But, you know, if you really only read the rules about um, infantry and vehicles slash guns, then you can play like, you know, 70% of the scenarios that are out there. Yeah, Yeah. you can play forever. Yeah, Yeah, and and even all those extra orders of battle that come in and all those other expansions, they're really pretty minor tweaks. I mean, you only need to read the rules for the Finns once, and then you pretty much understand why they're Mm -hmm. not going to be all that helpful. Right, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, just the old original squad leader, as we all know, uh, had that famous programmed instruction, which for the listeners was, uh, you, you, it's sort of like that, but they, they set scenarios in which they only told you the rules for that scenario. And then the next scenario they added. So, you know, the first scenario was just, uh, you know, the famous, uh, guards counterattack and you just, oh, yeah. you just learn about the infantry. And then <clears throat> the next, uh, scenario you learn about like flamethrowers and other support weapons. And then the third scenario, they, you know, they bring in vehicles and then the next scenario, you put it all together and then you play, you know, the same, you have to like two boards and now you put the boards together and you use all the rules. But, um, I think that was the idea of the, of the starter kits was to try to get this programmed instruction. Um, but, uh, I have to say that there's something about this giant rule book where you just sort of pull it out and plop it on the table. Like, yep, this is the rules. And, uh, you know, I can pretty much do anything in world war two with these things. Um, but you know, I think that there's a lot of, uh, and we'll have to talk about scenario design in a little while. Um, but, uh, the, um, the fact that scenarios in, incorporate so many different things and can incorporate or leave out so many different things that you, like you said, you don't really have to read the whole rule book because you only have to know the rules for the thing you're playing in that scenario. And if, if you're playing, uh, you know, sort of Germans versus Russians, you know, on the Eastern front with, uh, you know, some, uh, some elite. German squads against a you know a bunch of Russian squads and there's some support weapons and maybe a few tanks, uh, but there are no aircraft. There's no off-board artillery. Um, there's no funny terrain. That's I mean that there are a lot of scenarios like that and uh, you'll never run out of those. And one approach I took uh, I like to take and and Jeff makes fun of me often is I like to play a whole packet or a whole um, boxed game of ASL stuff in a row. Be partly because I'm learning the rules for something special, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, well, like when Jeff and I, we, I, ma- I made him play all the Hedro. What was that Hedro ASL packet? Hedro, Hedro Hell's a the deluxe. Well, actually, the later hell? one. It was an action pack. You know, can we say hell on this show? No, this is an opinion. We can say hell on the show. Yeah. Okay. So it was the it was the, it was um, the other one. packet. Yeah. It had a lot of uh, so we we just dug into these Hedro rules and really really learned them and played all. I, I tried to play all eight of those scenarios. At the all, you know, at the all within two months. So I really learn it well, and then I can forget it, kind of, and go on to something else. The uh, the the scenario packages themselves are very. I mean, there's this whole part of Advanced Squad Leader, which is the um, scenario design and sort of curmudgeony argument. Um, but do you guys ever design scenarios? No, okay, have not so far. Okay, well, what did. I feel like we'd be remiss without pointing out that one of the genius pieces of game design here, right? I mean, we've, we've, we've sort mm-hmm. of been slightly in the deep end of the pool right. here. Mm-hmm. And, and I worry that people who have not ever even seen the game have no idea what we're talking about. You know, it's a chip-based war game. You're looking at range and firepower and leadership and things like that. I mean, it's pretty straightforward from that perspective if you've played any chip-based war game. But one of the brilliant things about the design of this game is that the map boards all fit together like the world's greatest wargaming jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. or Lego set, uh, <laughs> where you can kind of take any, you can almost grab 
I think you can you literally grab any set of maps? No, now? because you can't grab red barricades. Right. Out, and but de- you, can you, can't grab... do, you can't add the desert to a, you know, to a city. Yeah. But... So, but, but, but for the most part, you can grab any of the core map boards, which are these long, thin boards and arrange them any way you want. And they will sort of orthographically line up. Like the roads will connect to roads and, yes. and and everything will sort of make sense. And it may not represent anything realistic that was actually in France or Germany or whatever, but you create a realistic terrain scenario that may be hilly or maybe it's full of valleys or may have rivers in it or whatever. And then there's the series of overlays that you can lay onto it to sort of tweak things one way or the other. And that creates this amazing toolkit, which over the years... You know, even with just sort of the core sort of I would I would sort of call them like eight to ten core boards, there's gotta be hundreds of scenarios when you start including oh, yes. all of the fan made stuff in there. Um and then you add to that also the fact that, you know, to add a new order of battle for some new set of units that may or may not have even existed, it's really just a matter of a handful of numbers on a chit. So it becomes this incredible sandbox for designers. And so in some ways, ASL is a game, and in other ways, ASL is just this sandbox for other game designers to play in. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about ASL. Yeah, we've interviewed quite a few designers, and uh, including John Hill, who can really, on our episode about that, he, he really got into all the how the logic behind the system mm-hmm. and then why the system caught on so well and it was used in some other... Uh, even miniatures games and things with the defensive fire and all that, but yeah, you can do anything with this, and um, and people love history. Are, are really also there's a whole to me the history part of this. These guys really like research a topic and they, you know, get into all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I mean there, there was it was funny um, a long time ago. Uh, game, a book called Frozen Hell came out about the. Uh, 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 Russell Finnish War by uh, William Trotter, who actually mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, w- wrote about <clears throat> computer games for a long time, and um, uh, all these people started, you know, they they were just kind of plumbing the depths of the of the book and trying to, you know, oh, like oh, we can use it, you know, can make a scenario out of this. Let's, you know, what what what's really being represented here? You know, how many squads are there? You know, what kind of terrain is it? Uh, you know, who are they facing? How many Russians? Uh, what weapons do they have? So it, it's really a a way of you know, sort of imaginatively exploring the history that you read about, because you know, if you if you read about any small arms action um, in uh, in World War II, you can really recreate it at the squad level. Um, if you, uh, I said small arms, so you small unit action, um, but uh, you can recreate it at the squad level if you just have you know basic amount of information. You sort of wing the rest. I mean, I've you know, I've seen scenarios that are designed off you know one paragraph in some book. Um, and people just sort of, right. ah, you know, throw in some of these and some of that. Um, but, um, you know, part of the, part of the idea is to create, um, a competitive, uh, a competitive environment. Of course, nobody wants to play a scenario where, you know, one side doesn't have any chance of winning, but another part is just to say, Hey, you know, let's, let's imaginatively explore this, uh, this part of history, which I think is just fantastic. Well, and, and part of the beauty of, of a scenario based game is that you can play a scenario where, you know, the defender's victory condition would be to have a third of your troops left at the end right. of the game, right? Mm-hmm. You can have what looks like a tactical failure on the map be a victory in a game space. Um, yeah, that which- is correct, right. So if, if you know, like, you're going to um, lose the building, but the, the then, right, the, the condition might be hold it until turn eight, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and then you hold out long enough, you win. Right. Right, even though you're going to lose that building if there was a turn nine, you know, because you're outnumbered. That was one of those difficult parts for me coming into gaming late, coming into this game, especially was I just thought 
the purpose of a war game was to shoot all the other guys. <laughs> That's all Eliminate I wanted to do. Everybody. I didn't care. What, what do you mean, what are the victory conditions? I need to shoot all the other guys. <laughs> and Jeff's famous for despising the very convoluted victory conditions that you could perhaps find on yeah, some I of make, the scenarios. Yes, I make fun of those. <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. The... Um, uh, the great thing about those scenarios too is that you can, uh, you know, for players of different skill levels, you know, there's always the uh, the advantage, right? You can give one side or another the advantage. Uh, you know, they'll get the balance. Yeah, yeah. But, sorry, yes, balance. Gosh, yes, gosh, it's been a long time. Yeah, which really helps. And although some of them seem not to make a big difference to me, I would even double up on some of those. But, but yeah, you can throw a little variance on the scenario and and get it fixed if you don't think it's a it's balanced. And I think that, you know, again, more on that sandbox nature. I mean, some mm -hmm. of my favorite games that I've, I've recalled playing, and I'm, I'm reaching way back here, and so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember from Last Hurrah, there's like a set of scenarios that involve Polish cavalry, mm -hmm. which is like these like weird corners of World War II history oh, yeah. that you, you're just never going to see right. in a movie. And the Polish right? tank. I mean, it's just never going to get made. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And I just, I remember some of those scenarios so vividly because they almost seem ridiculous at the time. And then you read the scenario text and you're like, holy crap, this actually happened. <laughs> and, and I guess this was actually a thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and they seem ridiculous and crazy and you know, you're doomed, but they still are tremendous fun to play. I used to just read the scenario text in the aftermath of the scenarios, just like I would collect the scenarios and be like, oh, that's a really cool story and not mm -hmm. play the scenario. I mean. I, and there are some players who who are infatuated with Stalingrad mm -hmm. and really just want to play Stalingrad and everything related to Stalingrad, right. or and and then there are other players that really like to explore some of these ex obscure parts. And in a recent episode of the Two Half Squads, we talked about uh, there were a series of scenarios that took place in Madagascar. Who would have ever thunk <laughs> that there was action on the island of Madagascar in the early part of the what war? What was that Vichy French? But yeah, Jeff, you did that. Yeah, I think it was. It was. Uh, it was the British. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. But and then it you, may have been the. Vichy and then they French. have all the partisan units, and they can be all kinds yeah. of mm -hmm. things. You right. know, the Muslim partisans in the Philippines, or right, just all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But what are your some of your yeah. guys' favorite and, things? Well, I think we didn't mention the. We talked about the boards, <laughs> and and I, and I like the way you um, talked about how. They are. I, I never realized the beauty of them until you just <laughs> described them there <laughs> as so you know flippable. Because I don't play a lot of other games where the ter it's always restricted and they don't combine. So I'm used to that. But then we get to the historical boards, which are uh, just uh, an amazing thing. Oh, and, like uh, red barricades. Are, yeah, yeah. And these these games are not Tarawa, Pegasus Bridge, um, red barricades, Valor of the Guards. These are all historical maps, and they're and they're aerial views. And when we first opened up Valor of the Guards, Jeff and I on our show. We, I pulled up the historical picture on the um, computer, mm -hmm. and I was like, look, 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 <laughs> here's here's the little fountain that's on the map. Look, look at this road. It looks just like this, and the square is about the same opening size between the buildings. And it, it, to me, and how exciting is that? You know, you're, you're actually into this, like, detailed with rubble and debris in the streets and fountains on the road and, you know, yeah. view as opposed to... Um, well, again, my other wargaming experience is limited, but Wally had me start playing a Russian something or other, and it was the whole of Europe, right? right. Yeah. yeah. So to me, that seemed a little more abstracted, even though I know those are real cities and things. Right. But to get into this nitty grittiness of these historical yeah. boards. Well, so that's just for our, just phenomenal. for our listeners, I should say that there's this whole idea of historical ASL, which is <clears throat> that you play on a board that is um, historical terrain. 
and uh, you play what's called a campaign. You can play scenarios, you can play a campaign, mm-hmm. uh, and that <clears throat> that adds the whole idea of the inter-scenario commitment of units. Um, and uh, I remember once when I played Red Barricade's campaign, so you're playing on this <clears throat> giant map of a... Um, of a factory in Stalingrad. And as the Germans, you sort of have to decide, you know, how many of your squads you're going to commit at any given time. And there's this, you know, there's the front line and it's just, uh, you know, it sort of adds this whole other story element to the game. Um, there are only a limited number of, um, of uh, historical ASL uh, modules and, um, you know, Red Barricades, I don't think, I think it's out of print. And um, so many, yes. many of them are out of print actually, but um but as the, you know, as they come out, you uh, you get this sort of window into into uh, history at a real, I mean, at a really literal level because you like like you guys said, it's just it's a photograph of history on a map with hexes put over it. And now you get to take these counters and play uh, play that history yourself. So uh, yeah, and in the campaign games, which I have not, uh, well, I've done a, f- a few, but very very little. Um, but yeah, then you also make decisions about. Um, choosing reinforcements mm-hmm. that would best suit your situation at the time. And yeah, you're right. It's a whole nother level with that. Yeah. Well, but, but this is part of why I think this game still has so much life. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, I mean, uh, probably worth mentioning the fact that, you know, ASL was a game that sort of died, right. With the folding of, uh, of, um, Avalon Hill. Uh, Avalon Hill. Hill. Sorry, losing yeah. my brain. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was sort of resurrected by MMP when they bought the license, and they started doing things like doing these periodic republishings of the main manual um, and Beyond Valor, which is sort of all the pieces you need to at least be able to start playing. Right. And they did the the starter kits, which are great. But all these things sort of go in and out of print. But meanwhile, on the side, there are all these other publishers uh, who are either officially or unofficially continuing to just churn out content. And historical ASL has been one of the places where I haven't played, I haven't gotten to play many of these, but there are a ton of these out there. Um, the, these sort of new uh, historical modules focusing on individual battles, whether it's Kursk or something else, um, you know, really focusing on narrow pieces of map with known orders of battle and known situational modifiers that I think are super interesting. Yeah, and uh, Bounding Fire Productions is great work, and LaFranc Torreur, we've been told not to try and pronounce things in French <laughs> on our show, but um, in in France they're making these yeah. things. And, and there's this whole amazing thing called the community, <laughs> and I don't know if this exists for the other games as much, maybe at the, at the board game championships, which I haven't really gone to, but you know these players and these guys will um literally stay at your at your house i mean i I could i'm serious i could i could go to europe and i can call up a guy we interviewed who helped design hakapale and say hey i'm gonna be in town you know you want to get together for a game he'll say sure come stay at my house Mm -hmm. yeah i mean literally guys will come into chicago and they'll email and say hey i'm in chicago from um australia anyone free for a game or whatever uh, it's kind of to, crazy. to be fair, a historical scenario in ASL often takes more than one night. So, oh yeah, well not uh, historical. <laughs> yes, oh yes, <laughs> oh yeah, those are mega mega games. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so either you have to have a hotel nearby, or they're crashing on your couch. You have no yeah. choice. And but they're they're so friendly and welcoming, and um and of course you do enough of these tournaments, which um I do one a year, and Jeff and I do, haven't are not that into them, but you you know all these people, right? And then you meet them, and then someone's like, "Oh, you remember? You know this guy? Yeah, he's in St. Louis. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, uh, just that whole community. And then that the fact that all these people are making all these extra things, even the fact that like we're doing a podcast, and oh, help me out, um, 
comedy stuff. Uh, people put out satirical, ma- the, that one magazine, satirical magazine about ASL and about the community oh, right. of people and and the third-party product producers dice the guy's making dice just yeah. for asl well there was a thing i bought in, you know, in canada uh, yeah i bought something uh, a couple of years ago it was just a sheet it was french it was a, just a sheet of counters that were turrets for different tanks nationalities oh, yes. yeah, yeah right. man it was yeah. the off-team yeah there was, yeah how cool was yeah. that i love those. yeah it's just so for the listeners that you know they have a little turret counter because the, the tanks can turn the turrets uh, and they're just generic counters because you know you have to have a turret for to last for a whole bunch of different units. And then so the, these guys just decided, hey, you know, let's make turrets that correspond to the each actual tank. And so then you, I just sent them some PayPal money and this thing came from France and it was a beautiful set of counters. And now I can, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, it's amazing the stuff that you can get. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can jump in with a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 of I, course. I did, we were playing the um, first bid yesterday Big historical game, and we're only on turn three, and we spent two, you know, days of four-hour, five-hour sessions mm-hmm. already on this. It's nineteen turns. Mm-hmm. You can get the magnitude of this for listeners who haven't done this kind of thing. And we're sitting there. We always take a dinner break, and so the camaraderie is, of course, part of gaming, mm-hmm. right? Social thing. And um, I said, "Oh, these guys are going to interview us about ASL." I need things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think about the game? And and they're and they and we kind of laughed at ourselves because we said, you know, why are we playing this mega game? And my other friend's friend couldn't understand why he was giving up miniatures for a couple months to do this huge historical mm-hmm. thing. And um, I said, you know, it's it's funny, isn't it? The rules, like we hate them, yet we love them, mm-hmm. and we all actually like kind of just read them occasionally. Oh, that's an interesting thing. This is an interesting thing. And I said, so why do you guys like the game so much? And I'm sure they're going to ask us that. And and my friend Tom said, it's really the vagaries of the game, and it's the roller coaster ride mm-hmm. of the experience. So, And he plays tons of war games, mm-hmm. board games, and miniatures, everything. And he says, ASL has this roller coaster ride. So suddenly you're going along. You're rolling great. Your strategy's working. And then you know you can break your machine gun. Mm-hmm. And then your opponent can battle harden, raise up his morale, charge across the road at you, enter into your hex, and you know I, I, what? Are, you don't get that in a lot of other yeah. games. It's and the fact that and some people hate the dice. Well, the dice you break your tank gun, then you mm-hmm. lose the game. Yeah. Well, sure, but, but it's but, game. But that's, right. also, but that's also what would have happened, right? Like, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's yeah, part of right. why, I mean, I've heard people rail against the randomness of ASL over and over again because, you know, here you've got a game with this, you know, three-ring binder rule book, uh, and yet it does have <laughs> far more randomness than most war games that I would normally play. I mean, like, mm-hmm. even more casual games have less randomness than this because the reality is it's like, you know, your, your best guy is only going to lay smoke down like one out of four times. I mean, there's right. there's such randomness in the most basic actions here. Um, well, and it's all knowable yeah. in advance. It's like poker right. in the sense that you can always look and say, am I over seven? Am I under seven? Like, it's all right. knowable in advance. Yeah. Um, yes. Normally, I should be able to do that. <laughs> right. Well, the exactly. variance in but... 2D6 is huge, right? It's almost The variance is almost six, I think, in, in 2D6. So you're going to have this huge uh, mm. possibility of outcomes. So I think that's why it's so random. And, and very few and, scenarios let you remove the randomness through overwhelming odds because those aren't very fun, mm-hmm. right? Yes. That's right. You yes. know you're going to win. Yeah. And, and like and one, one more example, my friend, fight, let's see, he pulled his giant 
tank. What are those big German tanks with the 100 millimeter cannon, a short Sturm something, Panzer? Whatever. He fires this huge gun mm -hmm. on a tank adjacent at a building, rubbles it, which is going to kill everyone inside. Mm -hmm. He's just joyous. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a thing called falling rubble. And the falling rubble fell his direction <laughs> and crushed his tank in the street, <laughs> which is beautiful. A, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it I love beautiful? Yeah. I mean, you can't. Yeah. How can you not love that? That's the love-hate relationship <laughs> right. that that you have with ASI, and I think everybody has that has those moments where they love it and hate it at the same time, because the bre the best strategy in the world and knowing the rules, uh, being an absolute rules guru, and you can still not win a scenario if the dice just uh, happen and, to and roll I, a different if way. the enemy makes every morale check, and then we're sitting there talking about the game going, those guys are here. Yeah, right. 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 Those well, guys stood the in the building through there's everything. There's a story. Yeah, Even there's the, a story. The there's simplest story. story. You yeah. can play the, 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 I think the starter kit has, either the starter kit or one of the online scenarios for the starter kit has a half-turn scenario. Right. Where it's literally just trying to teach you the, the fundamental phasing of battle, and it's three American troops charging into one German guy and a leader in a building. And that's the whole thing. And you uh. either, the Americans either have to win by the end of their turn or they lose. And even in that, you can play that scenario 50 times, which has like eight chits on the board and takes place in nine hexes. There's a story that comes out of it because, you know, some guy throws down smoke and it's in the wrong place, so it doesn't work. Or he throws down smoke and manages to assault and then wins in close combat. I mean, there's always a story. And there's so few war games that have that sense of a real story when you're done, uh, other than I won or I lost. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, I have to... I have to tell a quick story about that because that's exactly mm -hmm. what how it is. I, I was many years ago, gosh, I, it's almost... That must have been 15 years ago. Um, I was playing at like a small local tournament. It wasn't really even a tournament, but it was just a bunch of guys getting together and we sort of kept track. And there was um, one of the guys had bought some stuff and was going to you know, give out like prizes. I think it was like a starter kit and some other scenario pack. And um, I was down to the to the last game <clears throat> or my record. You know, I had, I had won a bunch of games and I was playing against the other guy who had won a bunch of games. And we were playing, you know, kind of small scenarios so that we could play fast. It was one of those um, market garden scenarios with like a half a half a board and you know a half dozen squads on uh, per side, uh, which of course uh, took the um, took the variance way up. So you know everything's super random. And um, I had I think I had to, I was almost I had almost won, but I needed to exit one more squad off the edge of the board and I had like, you know, six hexes and I had to, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, counter exhaust yeah. and, you know, the, and, and, <laughs> to get and I ran that guy it was a 747 American squad, the paratrooper. And literally there was like a gauntlet of just of, of these Germans with machine guns. And so I would move and then and for listeners who don't know, moving in the open gives you the, the dreaded, um, uh, minus two die roll modifier. So, you know, and rolling low in, uh, in, in ASL is is good for the person who's rolling. I yes. always tell people to roll low. And this, uh, my opponent just kept getting these morale checks and I would pass the morale check. You know, I get a three morale check and I just pass the morale check. And I, I, I think there was, there was a, there was a number morale check for every one of those hexes. And that squad passed every single morale check and got off the board. And I won the game. And at the end of the game, the, my opponent, cause we were using his set, took that 747 counter and says, put it in a separate part of his little box and said, I'm never using that squad again. <laughs> they have earned never to have to be shot at again. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, and if, and if listeners, if you're thinking, well, that's a silly game, I will never play that. 
that is only going to happen one out of hundred games. Mm-hmm. No, but 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 <laughs> yeah. so reality is they're not no, going to make it. Yeah. So don't worry that this is crazy. It's not crazy. It has it's that level amazing. of right. awesome in it, right? Because right. I, yeah. I, I've literally yes. never played a game of ASL where everyone rolled a seven all the way through. It just doesn't happen. Right. And yeah. so there's always going to be that story of the unit that made a morale check that they should never have made or that unit that's machine gun broke on the first firing or that or that unit that just, you know, rolled its rate of fire and just fired and fired and fired and fired and laid yes. waste forever. There's always something that happens that's outside right. the edge of the curve, partially because you roll a lot of goddamn dice in ASL. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's yes. part of the appeal is that it takes this incredibly detailed look at combat but then recognizes that you know what crap happens yep and that really adds to the uh to the replayability of the game and so for people that are getting started in it who think oh i i need to buy everything Mm -hmm. or i'm not going to have enough to play you can take you can buy a module with 10 scenarios in it and play those scenarios over and over and over again and the way you set up can be different and the mm-hmm. way you defend can be different, and the way the dice lay out every time mm-hmm. can be different, and you can play those over and over again, and and a lot of people do, is, and that's why some of those classic scenarios are classic. It's not just because everybody plays them once, but it's because everybody plays them 10 times or 20 mm-hmm. times or 50 times during their lifetime, and every time they play it, it's and, a different And it's outcome. one of those rare games where the, the quote-unquote teaching scenarios whether it's the first you know first scenarios in beyond valor whether it's the the super simple learn the infantry rules scenarios from the starter kit um those scenarios are in and of themselves interesting games and you know most of the games in my giant board game collection have been played 10 times like the good ones the good Mm -hmm. ones have been played 10 times and yes. mm-hmm. I have played, I mean, how many times have I bought out, brought out, uh, you know, maps Y and Z for ASL? Hundreds over the course of 20 years, you know, I mean, and, and oftentimes for the same simple scenario, because we should face the fact that, you know, if you're playing ASL, a lot of what you're doing is teaching people to play ASL. Um, and so yeah. you're going to be playing a lot of simple infantry only scenarios where nobody even has a machine gun. Nobody has a demolition charge where you're just going to be playing these really straightforward, take the building, take the hill kind of scenarios. You know what? Those are still really interesting. I, yeah. I don't get yes. tired of those, you know, well, God, I guess at this point, 30 some odd years later. Yeah. No, I, I still will play the guards counterattack anytime anybody wants to play yep. it, but yeah, just put it down. We'll play it's uh, and it's fun. Yeah. I like, yeah. I like that one. <laughs> and, and, and the thing about it is, you know, the people that think that it's, you know, the, you know, the, well, it's just all the dice. I mean, there's a reason that I remember, <clears throat> remember a story from 15 years ago because th- it's, it doesn't happen all the time that, you know, you're just, I mean, my opponent got diced, uh, as they say, but, um, but the ability to have that kind of thing happen and then remember it so many years later, because obviously, you know, that that's a part of, you know, gaming that I just really put in my memory bank and said, wow, that was really great. Um, yeah. It, and be, because it was rare. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, yeah. And that's, it's, it's one of the games that can really, uh, I, I don't really know of any other game that can, that can generate that kind of goodwill. I mean, I just, I kind of open my closet and look at my modules and think, gosh, I love that stuff. Um, just, <laughs> that's kind of weird, but, uh, <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, yeah. Darn right. Yeah. So it's, um, and I think, I mean, for some yeah. people, it's the only game they play. Yes, exactly. And for all the reasons that we've just talked about and they, you know, and you'll say to them, oh, you know, do you want, 
it's interesting when I got into gaming because uh, um, there, having got into it only a few years ago, there are so many games out there. And you can ask somebody, um, do you want to play the uh, first Punic Wars with me, <laughs> this game I just got? No, I'm really not interested. But if you get into the second Punic Wars, call <laughs> right, me. Right. <laughs> yeah. But ASL, for people that get into ASL, you can you can play so many different things and they know the rule system and and the history is is part of it and and it's the only game they play for all of the reasons that we just talked about and for some people they're almost afraid to go gee i don't know if i want to play this mm -hmm. yeah if it's the only game i play i'd have to get rid of my closet full <laughs> exactly. of games well, well i don't know if that's the worst thing in the jeff, world jeff you made the, I, th I think it was jeff you made the comment about having some folks that come over who don't even own the rule book um Oh, that, that was Dave. Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll where, you, where yeah. you're you're effectively being the arbiter of the rules for them. I think one of the interesting things about ASL is that that's a viable gaming system. Like you can actually not ever show somebody else the rules and just say, "Look, trust me, I will tell you what your units can do when it's important." And and they yeah, still yeah. are that person who has no idea what they're doing after the ten minute introduction of like, "Here's what the things on your chits mean." will be able to have an interesting strategic experience, even though you're having to say, okay, now we're in defensive fire. Every time this happens, you get an option to do X, Y, Z, or now I'm moving, you know, I'm going to move probably two or three hexes. You have to decide if and when you want to unload on me. And here's what will happen. The fact that the game still works when one person has no idea what the hell they're doing <laughs> to me speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell me each but you guys oh, you you guys are your podcast and we've got a whole like five minutes left mm -hmm. but in five minutes you know your your podcast is about video games mm -hmm. and yet you're ASLers oh yeah and some people might think no, well, they do board you, games you can't too, right? be both yeah you know the that's a good point um, but uh, I think that you know all these games are ways in which we sort of you know <clears throat> i was i was talk about and anybody who's listening to this podcast will roll their eyes but i always talk about this idea of touching history right um i think that you know we get interested in historical things that's the reason that we all sort of play these games uh and um so we have a shared you know love of history and there are multiple ways to sort of touch history to to, to see something you know i <clears throat> i'm often looking at uh you know i'm watching something on the history channel or I see some documentary and i think oh wow that's a really cool thing about, uh, you know, battle, about Al Alamein. Hey, you know, I wonder if they got that in ASL. Um, and, um, or, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's some good computer games about it, but there are multiple ways of, of, um, of exploring that imagination. And I, I really like, uh, I really like the fact that with ASL, you can do it with somebody else. Um, and sort of, you know, that camaraderie, I think you guys had mentioned earlier, that camaraderie is kind of the, um, uh, the reason that I keep coming back to the game, I love sending out an email and saying, Hey, anybody want to play, uh, you know, whatever. So I, I, I want to play the French this week. And, uh, someone's like, yeah, we'll, we'll play. Let's, let's do Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, I don't think there's any, any, um, any sort of disconnect there. What do you think, Julian? The, the irony is I think you and I come at this from completely opposite directions, which mm -hmm. I think the longtime listeners of the show will get that Bruce and I often seem to come to the same place from completely weird directions. Uh -huh. um, I'm not a huge history guy. I mean, I, I dig it. Um, and I've certainly read a fair amount of military history and certainly compared to the average, like, I don't know, fund accountant, I've probably read more than most, but certainly compared to a guy like Bruce, 
I'm not a student of World War II. I'm not a student of any major conflict. What I am, I think, more is a gamer. Uh, and so what I love is a really interesting conflict simulation that makes me make a lot of interesting decisions uh, in the moment, and particularly if it's a social situation where I can beat the crap out of somebody else. And so I've actually learned more about World War II by playing ASL than I ever would have in any other way. Because the system itself is so interesting that, like Bruce was saying, you know, you read these sort of, you know, the precis to each scenario, and then you read the, you know, the historical outcome to each scenario. I've probably learned more about World War II doing that than anything else. I'm not a kind of not the kind of guy who gets stuck on the History Channel when it rolls across a documentary I've mm. never seen before. Because mm. honestly, I'd rather play StarCraft or something yeah, else. Right, like right. to me, I'm, I'm more of a gamer than I am a histor- history buff. Well, that's kind of a documentary um, too, though. Just about space. In a way, it's it's yeah. the future of the future of mankind in its fight against the aliens. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, I think maybe again, that's one of the victories of ASL is that even for somebody who doesn't have some pathological desire to remember all of the eight, you know, the thirty-seven variations of the Panzer, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Bruce could recite, you know, chapter oh, yeah, and verse. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's still really compelling to me because the game system itself is so compelling. Yeah. Well, we have just a little bit of time left, but I want to uh, take ask our guests to tell. So let's say we've all been here and we've talked about ASL, and one of our listeners has thought, gosh, that just sounds too great. I can't imagine not playing ASL. I'm going to go out and and try to figure out what the heck this ASL thing is. What would they have to do if they wanted to become a fully functional but independently uh, operational uh, ASLer, <laughs> what would you guys suggest? We, if, if we're gonna go full ASL, well, just you're gonna need the yeah they, the, the binder, the rule book, mm-hmm. and I think that the place to start might be Beyond Valor because you're getting your Russians and Germans mm-hmm. and everything built off of that in the system, and so then you start simply as we've kind of been hinting at with infantry only scenarios for a while, so you're comfortable with that, and if you just own those two products you could play for a lifetime because people will, of course, no one would Xerox a scenario and give it to you legally, but sometimes you might find that happens. And well, or you can find, buy small products and there's enough stuff. Fan-made stuff for that set for sure. Yeah, right, right. There's just so much you can just do with that. So I, I would tell people kind of go ahead and jump in, get those two products and you're going to be set for quite a long time. And you're going to have to, I really advise people to do something that your mother has been warning you against, and that is you're going to have to meet people on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I got to disagree. I mean, I have, no? a, I have a 10-year-old son, and, no? and I have not, I do not own, the, uh, the, so the, the website is multimanpublishingmultimanpublishing.com. I don't own mm-hmm. this, but ASL Starter Kit, number one, they have kept in print pretty much consistently. Yes. It's $25, which is yes. about a third of the cost of most of the board games I buy, and half the cost, at least, of most of the video games I buy. And honestly, you could play the six scenarios in there for an awfully long time. I'm completely convinced that my son is completely ready for that. And and I, I think, I mean, even though I own all this other ASL stuff, I think I'm going to buy the starter kit and just start walking it through with him because that is, I've, I mean, I've read most of the stuff and I've played some of the scenarios with friends that have bought it. It's fantastic. And it's $25. Come on. $25 is like three bad coffees at Starbucks. 
<laughs> yeah, and the rule book's yeah. what? 16. So do, do notice I did say if you're going to get into full ASL. Right. Yeah. Because if you're not, you're going to take exactly what you're saying. But either route that you take, I think it's important that you listen to the two half squads. Yes. <laughs> either, yes, for sure. <laughs> so it's a great podcast. podcast. Everybody should listen to it. It's, the, it's com. but two is the number two. And that'll, I, but, that's right. but I'd also, I'd highly recommend if folks jump into the two half squads, because you guys have been going for a long time. You're very funny. Um, you talk about a lot of stuff that's not directly like, you're not just like de- debating rules every week. It's not like that. Um, but dig into some of those extra episodes that you guys do where you're actually doing walkthroughs of specific games and specific scenarios that happened. Um, that's a great way to learn some of the, the nuances of the rules, at least it was for me. Yes, I, I mm-hmm. second that. That's, that's good to know. Good to know. So, well, we are almost at the end of our time. Um, I want to thank Jeff and Dave for coming and talking about something that we all think is fantastic. Um, again, uh, uh, Jeff and uh, Dave are at the two half squads.com. That's the two half squads with a uh, number two. Um, they have, uh, quite a few episodes, although not as many as three moves ahead. So, uh, no. we win that one, <laughs> Yes, you do. <laughs> but, Hands down. but, uh, uh, thanks again for coming and, um, everybody, uh, Julie and I will see you next time. Good night, everyone. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye.